You're listening to the Rural Advancement Podcast. Rural Advancement provides resources to empower, equip, and encourage rural pastors and churches. Join our community by visiting us at ruraladvancement.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Rural Advancement. This is the podcast that is designed by rural leaders and for rural leaders. It is our goal every single week to bring you content that not only speaks to the small town context, but is spoken by people who get it. People who are from there, who have lived there, who have ministered there, um, who are planning churches there, as we'll find out today. Um, but we want you to know that we're not just uh, getting armchair practitioners here, but people who truly understand what it means to do God's work in a small place. And so if you're tuning in with us, uh, we're just so happy. We hope you find encouragement and insight, stuff that, again, just really speaks right to where you're at. Every week, you know, we try and bring uh, different guests on here, different interviews. And um, today we get the chance to hear from a pastor from upstate New York. His name is Will Hampton. He's from Binghamton. And he has been on this journey of kind of church planning in small town upstate New York. I'm going to let him tell a lot of his story. Uh, I am your host, Joe Epley, and I want to welcome Will to the show. So, Pastor Will, how you doing, man? I'm doing great, Joe. It's so good to be here. It's an honor to be able to be on uh, your podcast with you. What a joy it is to connect. I'm I'm excited about this. Awesome. Well, glad to hear it, man. Well, yeah. Um, so the first thing we always do, we always start the conversation because uh, rural or small town is a place of of a little bit of credentials, right? We want to know that the people we're talking to understand where we're coming from. And so um, why don't you take a little time, tell us about your background, your journey, um, and kind of specifically your connection to the rural church. Yeah. So I grew up in a small town in upstate New York. Actually, uh, my father pastored uh, multiple churches. I'm a pastor's kid growing up in all my friends, my uh, pastor's kid friends were all almost all uh, small church, small town. Upstate New York is just dotted with small towns all over the place. It's sort of um, a state that was developed when there were horses. So, you know, there wasn't cars. So small towns are a lot closer to each other, but they're all over the place. And they have all their own little identity everywhere. So I grew up in a small town, just graduated, but maybe 80 kids. Uh, married a girl who's also from a small town. I grew up in a little town called Moravia. She grew up in a small town called Windsor. Uh, we met out in Springfield, Missouri. I actually, coming up in, in a small church, uh, went to Bible college in Springfield, Missouri, and then ended up uh, going on staff at a church in Springfield. It was sort of like, being on staff there every if you weren't james river church and if you don't know what james river is you can go look it up james river is this, this amazing mega church and everyone was saying hey let's let's sort of copy james river and i just went when i was there on staff i had this dream like what if instead of going bigger in one location we uh, multiplied more often and very few leaders could be John Lindell, but lots of leaders could be what my dad was, what what I was used to was a, a smaller context, smaller people. So what if, what if we just multiplied more often? Mm-hmm. And that was sort of the, the context uh, that we had there in Springfield. Life360 Church, now Life360 is planting churches all throughout rural areas of Missouri, Arkansas, and there's about 24 locations of Life360, but they're all small. They're much, much smaller and going into places that you could never go to and sustain a, a something like a, 
a mega church. There's just sure. not enough people, you know, community of 100, 200 people. So that's been the, the dream. Let's multiply more often and make a big impact in, in smaller settings. Yeah. And so you ended up uh, going back to a town called Binghamton, right? Yes, I did. And so uh, tell me about your journey there, because you have a congregation. Uh, I mean, give us maybe a profile of where your congregation is at and, and maybe what you've been able to do around the area. So so Binghamton is in a county with about 190,000 people it's, um, in in terms of the city itself. Binghamton is maybe a conglomerate of seven or eight smaller communities that they just call one sort of regional name. And, sure. and then we planted the church back 10 years ago. Uh, we really felt like we were coming not to start a church, but to start a movement. Uh, we started a movie theater, launched large, and then began the process of multiplying. We, we planted our first church in year three. We we're still in the movie theater. Uh, we planted in a town called Endicott. We planted locations. When we got our first physical location in year five, we planted three more times in rural locations, Cortland, Corning, uh, Gloversville, New York, which are all these sort of dotted out communities. And then uh, we planted in a town called Ithaca, which is probably maybe 50,000 people, which is a little more uh, depends on what your, your concept of rural is. Sure. But, you know, which could be all over the place, especially sure, sure. in New York. It's a, it's a different animal entirely, what, what, what rural might be. But uh, we've, we've multiplied about 10 times in the last 10 years. And uh, we're, our dream is to just keep on uh, multiplying as we have leaders that are ready. Awesome. And that's super cool. You know, I love that not only did your origin come from uh, rural, but also you know, you've got this history of, of your dad pastoring in, in small towns and seeing the value of that. And we're going to get into some of that, but it's pretty cool that you took a church, you know, put it in, in a, a more densely populated area. Not that all of New England isn't a little densely populated, but you know, you're still, you're expanding out to these smaller outposts. And I love that. So I do, you know, you touched on it already, but I kind of want to dive into it. One of the things that's been a fun journey for me, and I think a fun journey, hopefully for our listeners is expanding our view of what it means to be rural or to be small town. Because again, I uh, if I heard you right over the phone, it seems like maybe upstate New York is not necessarily the the quintessential stereotype of rural that people think of. You know, it's not necessarily the the cow town and the agriculture and all these things. You know, it's it's a different different beast. And so maybe help us understand the difference. Help us kind of become acquainted with this new face, this different face of rural. And maybe what you've noticed, a, a challenge that these towns face, you know? Yeah, so, so one of the things that we were supposed to do when we came to New York with, uh, through the Church Multiplication Network, uh, we had to do this thing where you create a community profile. And in the community profile, you're supposed to come up with like the person that you're going to target. Sure. And when we were here in Binghamton, it was like, how do you target uh, in this community, it, it is so radically diverse. Now, interestingly, if you go to our county website and you look at the data, it'll say, okay, it's 90% Caucasian, sure. which is one of the most misleading stats you'll ever see in your life. It's certainly there are white people all over. Sure. Uh, the problem with that is that it's like Czechoslovakian, Serbian, Russian, Ukrainian, Polish, Jewish, Italian, 
you know, and then in each of those subsets, there are like the poor, the middle class and the rich of each of those things. There are the Americanized version of it, the classical, like I'm still connected generationally to the mother country. And so there's not sort of this, I can use country music to appeal or I can use a particular sports team to appeal or I could use a, a sort of common cultural thread. There's not a common cultural uh, footprint. And, and interestingly, all over New York, all these small communities, it's like if you were to go back in time, uh, like in, in the Northwest, you had like the Swedish uh, immigrants that sort of sure. settled in a particular region. Well, that's still happening today here in New York. I, I like to say all the pioneers went west, but these immigrants have come in and they're establishing footprints. But there's generational layers of what that looks like and the ability to appeal inside of each community. And, and educational stratification is really interesting. Like yeah. the, having people who they're they're wearing like, suspenders it's the farmer but he's got a doctorate from cornell university gosh you're like wow. <laughs> this guy is not like a simple like we're gonna salt of the earth kind of guy they're they're like sure. you know we need to depopulate the planet in order to be good to the earth like oh that's kind of radical my friend so it's a very yeah. interesting politically diverse uh, socioeconomically diverse, very, and interestingly, the younger generations are, are heavily influenced by New York City. So while you have uh, some people playing country music, you have these kids driving around cars and the, the you know, the windows are shaking because they have subwoofers sure, sure, sure. and they're playing rap music. And it's like, okay, it's all over the place. So the sort of the country aesthetic or appeal uh, has a New England flavor, and at the same time, uh, almost no flavor at all. It's just all over sure. the place. So to find that common denominator is incredibly challenging in, in terms of one community to the next. Sure. And inside of any community, it's it's very, very diverse. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I love hearing that snapshot because... Again, um, a lot of, again, what, what we've identified stereotypically as rural, kind of this, a lot of the Midwest flavor of where it's, it is, you know, uniquely homogenous culturally, it's typically cowboy-esque, it's typically a cultural, there's varying degrees of education, but the kind of diversity you're talking about really is uh, very unique, you know, and so that's that's super cool to to see maybe that facet of it, because one of our goals on this podcast is not just to bring, you know, obviously highlight rural, but to make sure that we're highlighting all of rural, all of small town America to say, hey, there's a lot going on uh, that demands our prayers, that demands our focus and our attention and kind of this this training and this emphasis to to push towards it. So thank you for sharing that. I kind of want to dive into a bit of your story as we go here, because um when you were telling us your journey, you mentioned that when you were in Springfield, you know, you had Bible college, then you get on staff with a uh, this church and this church might not be, you know, for those who don't know James River, I don't know how much their reach is, but it's, you know, 20,000 plus. I mean, it's it's wild. You know, they just have this huge stuff. But you're looking at that as kind of this gold standard. But in the middle of all that, you told me over the phone, you recognize that you'd meet a lot of people who were pastors, who had credentials, who were affiliated with you know a certain denomination or, or other, but they were sitting on the bench in a sense was the term you used where 
they they maybe weren't ever going to be that mega church leader they they didn't you know not everybody can or should probably run a 20,000 person church but but who could have other ministry opportunities and one of the things i loved is you talked about uh to me you talked about the value these pastors have and so maybe tell me how you know your your new church planting sense or the last part of your ministry has kind of recognized that value and then implemented that value yeah, and so when when I was there in Springfield, I actually went back to Springfield after graduating from Central Bible College. I went back to go to Evangel University and work on my master's degree in organizational leadership, not because I was trying to do more for God. I was actually sure. running from God. I went back to Springfield because Evangel would accept my undergrad credits. That's a weird place to run from God, isn't it? Like this <laughs> it's a wild God thing. Headquarters, only, like. only, only a pastor's kid would think, let's go Honestly. to Springfield, Missouri to run Honestly. from God. So that's what I did, though. And uh, while I was working on my degree, I, I ended up um, surrendering to God. But my entire time in Springfield, I always went to the same church. I, I It was Park Crest Assembly of God. Eventually, they merged with uh, Calvary Temple and then began the, the process of becoming a multi-site church. When I surrendered my life to the Lord, I came on staff there as a part-time children's pastor and then eventually became uh, the lead children's pastor and then what, what we call the vision level pastor. And one of the things that we kept tinkering with was we started planting rural churches. We, start, we planted in Fordland. Uh, but we started to have this, this thing I kept running into. I was, while I was running from God, I'd be up and in the balcony and they do the shake hands time. Sure. Yeah. yeah. You know, if you go to group. church, you know how it goes. You know how it goes. Yeah. <laughs> let's, let's go shake some hands. And, and I'm like the outgoing person. So sure. when it's shake hands time, I'm like, yes. And all the, you know, all the introverts are like, no, <laughs> uh, but when, when I'd be shaking hands, I'd end up talking to people and say, Hey, who are you? Uh, love to meet you. Well, tell me a little bit about yourself. And I kept running into like these pastors and they would have this story like, Hey, I'm so-and-so. What am I doing? Uh, well, I'm an ex pastor. I used to be pastoring in, in Kansas for 10 years. And there was sort of this common denominator thing, like they were coming to Springfield and uh, it was like, they felt like failures. They sure. weren't, they had pastored for 10 years, made pastor for a particular amount of time. The church never took off the way they thought it should have. And it was like they were coming back to Springfield to kind of find their bearings and find their fit. And it was like they had to retool their dreams. Sure. Like, God, like the dream that they had and the reality of the experience were so different. And every time I talked to them, I just was thinking, you're not a failure. I don't know. Only in this one environment. Sure. If you're comparing yourself to what James River is, of course, everyone is a failure if that's what the standard is. Yeah, that's our only standard, yeah. But what it sounded like to me over and over and over again was that these guys were making, here I am, I'm from New York where there's no churches that are like over 500. It's like they just don't exist in the Northeast. I'm thinking you guys had an amazing church. And you feel like a failure. Yeah. What it was like was like, there's all of these guys, you know, there's one lot, John Lindell. There's very few people that are going to fit sure. into that mold. And there's all these other guys that are just literally in the balcony of Park Crest. And I was like, we could start 25 churches and not get to the main floor. <laughs> 
you know, just we, just by just the balcony the dwellers. That's so good. Like it, these are people <laughs> the who are highly educated. Twenty five churches hiding in the balcony. That's so <laughs> good. Like, we don't, I was like, God, we don't need a new harvest. We just need to take the people that we have and send them. It was it was this yeah. crazy level of opportunity there in Springfield, and it, and it just really burned in my heart this dream. What if? we could build models around the leader and have a much more flexible model where the leader could rejoice in uh, like small church rural communities oftentimes have strong apprentice model uh, ministries where they're raising up generations of leaders, generations of pastors, generations of families who then make an impact generationally. I've been, I'm only 45, but I've been able to see generations come out of these churches. And uh, within the Assemblies of God, just that is the lifeblood. That's the, the workhorse, yeah. what makes this thing run. And, and I just was like, man, th- we've got to uh, start celebrating this other uh not everyone's going to be that, but there's so many places that right now, if we just said, let's release these people, tell them, like somebody needs to say, you are amazing. God's hand is on your life. His calling was not misplaced. You are God's person. Now go forth and conquer. And it's just good. You got to change your metrics, man. You got to change what you think is success because uh, you're feeling like a failure and you probably did amazing ministry and people were touched, people were healed, people were changed, people were saved. You just didn't triple the size of the church. Like sure. that there's so many factors, you know, common to every area brain drain happening, people leaving you. you there's only a limited pool of resources. So many other things that that are happening that, in, in the world context, they just have to say, okay, man, thank God. If you're even and slightly growing, you're just crushing it. It's just a level of right recontextualization that most people aren't equipped with, which I'm thankful for this podcast even now sure. because we're starting to be able to come up with different metrics and different celebration factors and different yeah. ways of looking at how do we assess what healthy looks like in, in this context. Yeah, absolutely. And honestly, I love what you said, like just hiding in the balcony. Yeah. There's, there's 25 churches probably sitting there. And and I, I think that's part of what retooling that success looks like is again, if we were able to just mobilize people to, to see rural, not only as desirable, but doable, but successful, uh, you know, to to see those differently in a way that that makes us feel better about about doing God's work. Well, then what happens? Then people do get saved, and communities are changed. You know, all over the place. And so, man, that's really cool. Um, again, you touched on it. We're kind of working our way through, which is really fun. Uh, but you mentioned uh, I actually was was very surprised when we were talking on the phone. You talked about what it was like raising up leaders to plant these churches out of you know your main church in Binghamton, and and what that process looked like. And you kind of, uh, it almost shocked me how passionately you held to the idea of like raising up leaders from within. You said like when it comes to church planting or or churches multiplying, you were like, hey, sure, you could call the Bible college down the road and nothing against them. Obviously, we're products of them. But you were like, no, we want to see that DNA come from within. So maybe 
why like like how do you make that work practically why do you value that and and how do you think a small church could maybe replicate that culture yeah so so i'm my undergrad degree was in missions and bible and the missions approach that we used in the assemblies of god melvin hodges said let's let's do two things let's get people baptized in the holy spirit and then let's raise up, sure. let's raise up the indigenous church. And what that means, the indigenous church was, if you're in Africa, you would lead some people to Jesus that were Africans, and now you would equip them and you would send them to plant churches. And they would go out and it would just be built into their framework. That's what you're going to do. So when we started Two Rivers, we said, hey, uh, if we were the last church on earth, how would that change what we think about what we're supposed to be doing? Oh, wow. That's a really cool question. It led me to this idea that, well, probably we would need to raise up people in-house and send them out. I would need to embrace this idea of what missions has been doing so effectively for so many years and just view everything as the mission field. And, and so toward that end, I also was highly impacted by this idea in the churches that I grew up in. My pastor, we always had like what we called, my pastor called him his armpits. Sure. His pastor's in training. Oh. And he's yeah. my right armpit and my left Gosh, armpit. dang it. That's funny. Someone's going to steal that right there. You know, and, that's just, that's really the nugget of yeah. wisdom from this podcast. <laughs> the pits, the pits are, and, and he just, yeah. he's like, you guys go, you know, like you got a calling on your life and he'd raise them up in house. Yeah. And that was the big contrast that I had going from Springfield, Missouri to Binghamton, New York. The bench did not exist. Yeah. Right. Sure, so sure. it was and like, where do these problem. people come from? It's a common I, problem in all small towns. I can't yeah. go, <laughs> I can't go in the balcony. And just pick a random person who has a doctorate in theology anymore. Yeah, like yeah. I have to lead them to Jesus and then I have to run them through a discipleship process. But the biggest thing that, that we did was we took this glass ceiling off of the church. Most churches, it's like well, you can be a son of the house until mm. you decide you're called into ministry. Now I have to ship you out. And I have to send you off to Bible college and I have to send you away someday through some magical process. I call it a Darwinian leadership oh, sure. process. Basically, it's the survival of the fittest. Let me send you out into the wolves. Yeah, good luck. And yeah. then hopefully someday you'll find a place to do ministry. And I said, that's crazy. We're not, we're done with that. I've watched uh, these small towns and, and really is so uniquely suited because, uh, what was so great about rural church to raise up leaders in house is you don't have the same level of expectation. Mm. Like you don't need perfection in rural. You actually almost do better without perfection. Yeah, honestly. And what, what happens is that you can give people opportunities that you just couldn't give people opportunities to in a larger church context. Sure. So I, I noticed in larger church contexts, there's demand for this imaginary standard of excellence. Yeah. And the problem is what I saw excellence do, it disqualified more people than it qualified. Oh, wow. That's so while we were statement. pursuing excellence, what was happening was we were actually saying, you don't fit, you don't look right, you don't have the right words. You don't speak in the right ways. 
and we disqualify all of these people. So I just said, well, we're going to, we actually call them underdogs. We're, we're an underdog church and we're going to qualify these people. And if God called you into ministry, I'm going to train you mm-hmm. and I'm going to release you into ministry somewhere. There might be, a, uh, you, you know, you find these people and you just say, well, they're probably not, you know, who knows? I don't, yeah. I'm not going to put any lid <laughs> on anyone, but I, I, Probably if we can have a church of 50, 60 people that wasn't existing and I can release this person into that role, like, you know, they may not be a pastor of 200 or 300. Right. Man, what if we could get, what if we could go to a small town where 50, 60 people is like 10% of the population? Yeah. Once you start talking talking percentages, a small town can really shine, you know, because again, it's like, I was running, I mean, for nine years in my small town, I've been running a youth group of about 30 kids, but I only have 200 kids in our whole town. You know what I'm saying? Versus like yeah. 30 kids no, in like a place of 100,000. You know, it's just really cool to watch the impact it can happen. So carry on, yeah. yeah no, it's a it's a different measure measure entirely, right? It's it's an impact level. Uh, so so in-house, I, I like to say the miracles in the house. We, I went, I spent the first two or three years praying, God, you got to give me a number two. God, you got to give me a number two. God, you got to give me a number two. And then as I thought about it more and more, if I hired someone in, by the time I got them to a level of competency, they were going to leave. Sure. No one's sticking around. Sure. You know, like the, the problem with hiring, the Bible says the problem with a hired hand, John chapter 10. Oh, right. Yeah. Uh, when the wolf comes, they going to walk. Right. They're not going to lay down their life for the sheep. So if you raise them up in house and the the shepherd creates other shepherds, they don't know anything else. All they know is we lay our lives down for the sheep. That's what we do. Absolutely. And 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 so it creates this mentality where when you grow someone in house, they're also like in the Northeast, it snows all the time. Sure. They're used to people leaving. They're used to the economic conditions. They're used to, they know how to make money in this environment. They know how to talk to people in this environment. Yeah. They know you bring somebody from down South up to New York, they're going to get ate up and spit out. Yeah. They're not going to last. They're going to be like, I'm going to go back to where it doesn't snow. <laughs> Honestly. I'm going to go back to where these people, the people smile at us. He, he, Those people yeah. don't smile. That would be there. a tough one for me. They like small town Montana, there's smiles <laughs> and waves. And I, who, you know. <laughs> yeah. No, it's a di- like if you want to have long-term ministry, then then we got to raise up the people in the environment. That who might they they understand the environment so they could stay in the environment mm. and of course we'll lose people along the way it's just the nature of sure, small sure, town yeah, ministry sure. opportunity and, and all of those other things are happening but it is so necessary to raise them up in house I like to say it like this uh, we fellowship with everybody sure. we partner with some. But we plant with sons, mm. plant with sons. I got that from Larry Stock still, uh, and he's just a tremendous uh, church planter and missionary. And and you know, raising up someone in house really comes down to a few basic things: identifying the call on their life, then investing in them. I I like to make room in my life. So I don't travel places alone. I never go alone. I don't do business meetings alone. I don't do lunch alone. I don't do basically what it is. It's like Elijah and Elisha Mm. says, Hey, if you're with me, when, when the chariot comes, you'll inherit the blessing. 
And so basically I just tell these guys, if you're with me, you'll inherit the blessing. Sure, you're going to sure. just get around it. We'll pickle you in it. And then I give them opportunities because I don't need it to be perfect. I don't need yeah. Sunday to be perfect. I don't need, and actually what we do, like when it's somebody's first time to do guest welcome, I'll have them try them out on the stage and I'll introduce them and I'll say, Hey, everybody, this is Joe. It's his first time doing the guest welcome. And, and I want everybody to make it easy for Joe to welcome sure, all of our sure. guests. Come on, put your hands together and welcome Joe. Awesome. And then, of course, what will happen is our guys get up and they fumble. I make them quote the guest welcome to me. They got it nailed down. Nice. But you get them in front of people and they just biff it so hard. Oh, yeah. And what the church does, they start clapping for them. Come on, Joe. Yeah, Joe. And Joe, it, it went from being a moment where had I not just said, hey, everybody, let's cheer for Joe. Everyone been like, what happened just now? It would have been awkward. Instead, it went from being awkward to being this awesome moment where everybody's cheering for Joe. Everybody's loving you, wow. man. And I'm not saying you would be. Sure, 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 what sure, I'm sure. Saying I'll take it, though. I, it, I would love Functionally, that, you know, so. every, every new guy that comes up, they're not ready for the stage. They're not yeah, ready for And, and for how can that. you be, you know? But you got to get the opportunity in. And if you just do that little bit of, of – like the whole church, it goes from being our church needs to be entertained in a particular way or treated in a particular sure. way. It shifted the dynamic in the church to, man, we're raising up leaders wow. and we're sending out leaders and we're loving on people. And we, we've done it over and over sure. and over and over again now. Yeah. And honestly, like, uh, you know, when I think of a lot of churches who who do preach kind of that excellent standard, again, good on them. But one of the things you trade off is, uh, you know, I've heard horror stories of, you know, somebody new gets on stage and the pastor says, yeah, last time you're going to pull that, you know, and it just is such a such a sad environment because, again, they're getting chewed out, they're getting beat down, and they might walk away going, I'm, I'm not good enough for ministry, whereas if you celebrate, I mean, I love what you said, Sunday morning doesn't have to be perfect. Like, if I could just bottle that up and, and preach it to a lot of people I know, I think the church would be better, so... So that's cool. Um, last question. Last question for you. We uh, we mentioned uh, on the phone, uh, when it comes to church planting, obviously you want to do your best to equip these leaders to succeed. So you're trying to create the momentum. You're trying to spend the money. You're trying to get the right date. You're trying to get all the people together. But you kind of mentioned, you said at some point, you know, you guys just choose. You're like, hey, we got to hit go, you know, like regardless of what it looks like, we got to we got to run with this. And so you know, you mentioned maybe we can do more with less or not overspending these resources. And I'm sure that for a lot of small churches who might be looking to expand themselves, uh, resources are obviously pretty precious and sometimes few and far between. And so, you know, how do you help a church kind of adopt that mentality? Like, what does that look like for you guys? You know? Yeah, that's a that's a great question, Joe. I love uh, the idea that, you know, there's a farmer in one of my churches. He loves to say it like this. He says, good enough for who it's for. And <laughs> I love that. <laughs> And it's, uh, I have noticed as a pastor, when I go to a conference, I want a video wall. I've yeah. been in churches. They got these video walls. I want that thing so bad. It'd be so cool. Yeah, but, of course. <laughs> oh, oh man, I want it. You know what I'm saying? Like as a pastor, I want it. Yeah. But you know what? You know what blows people's minds when they come to Two Rivers Church? Like the average lost person that walks in off the street. We have a drum set. Nice. You know what I'm saying? Like. This is a church with a drum set. Y'all must be doing something up in here. Yeah, 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 for sure. Like that's blowing their mind, right? Because what their expectation was when they came to church, their expectation was 15 blue-haired old ladies 
on an organ. Sure. Yeah. That's what they were expecting. Around here, that's what that's what people expected. The fact that we have a drum set and you know we do some lights and we do some of that stuff. We actually have to tone some of that back. Early in, I was like, man, we got to have a rock and roll concert. We have all these things sure, that I sure. thought was going to be awesome because yeah, I like and that's it. how we grow the church, of course. You know, that's the, that's what we do. You know? If I like <laughs> it, yeah. And the phrase "good enough for who it's for" is a big deal. Because it's not to entertain Christians, it's to reach lost people. Yeah. And when you go talk to lost people, and you, you'll discover pretty quick, I mean, this is not, again, I'm all for awesome environments. Absolutely. I'm all for yeah. and in just some make context, it great. Make I it sure that that's what they need to succeed. Like, we, we, you know, no, no condemnation here. Yeah, but maybe, maybe they don't need as much as they think. Sure. Right? So, so this is the idea, and I think maybe Chick-fil-A and McDonald's and some of the other places have, have kind of nailed this idea that there will be a, a maximum factor where we're going to have some upper end limiters on what we're going to do. Like, I don't have a video wall because if the cost of that wall, I could start two new churches. Yeah, for sure. If I had to ask between like a video wall or start two new churches, I think the Lord's going to be a lot more pleased with me if <laughs> I start two, sure, two more sure. churches than can, make myself happy with you know, a video we can wall. guess, sure, sure. <laughs> yeah, I just, I think, I think that that might be, in our context, a better use of resources. So so I think what's what's really important, we, we always try to stay grounded to this idea of let's do more with less. Like, let's, like, we're still using the same backdrop that we started with way back in the day, because I can't afford to dump money into stage decorations. We still have lights. We still have all those things. It's sure. great. You can go to YouTube. You can check out our environment. It's all it's wonderful. But we're also not going to go beyond a certain level because I know at, at certain point I can trade that off. So what we've done is we've created uh, various levels of investment. So we do extension sites, which are basically small groups on steroids. We use them to go into really small locations. We use them to go into the nursing homes, into jails, into other places like that. It's also helping us to develop the bench. There's a B league and a D league sort of like, you know, maybe you, yeah, you got opportunities. You're not going to invest Small money. Sure. And, and what will happen is you can't get your mind around necessarily dumping a lot of money into a leader that you would say, yeah, I just don't see it on them. I don't see the fruitfulness. I don't see sure. all those things, but any leader who's been in the business for any amount of time knows there's a bunch of leaders who say, I've got a calling. And so we want to release them in that way, but we're releasing them without the expense, without the financial model where it's going to cost a ton of money to replicate, but we can replicate. And what will happen is out of that group, some people are going to surprise us. Yeah. Now, based on the new level of competency, their faithfulness, their fruitfulness, now I might invest a little bit more money into them sure. uh, with a higher level. And, and so we use a large launch approach to, to do the next location. So I like to say replication really happens around leader readiness. Sure. Like if you can get the leader ready, then you can multiply. And to, toward that end, I think it's really important, this idea that uh, you don't need, like you can go mobile in the school. You do not need a tremendous amount of money to multiply. You don't need 
like if you're a church of 50 people, there's a high degree of likelihood that you can have two really good apprentice leaders right. in that group of 50. And what they can go do now, and one, you could you could do the circuit rider model where you say, okay, sure, sure. Well, I'm going to let you preach here and I'm going to go with the other guy and we're going to go over here and we're going to spring something up in this other town and we're going to get us another 50 people over here. Yeah. And what's really interesting in the Northeast and it may be true almost everywhere, there's all these Methodist churches, all these Baptist churches that are all drying up, dying up. And there's buildings that are sitting empty. And my thinking is if we can just multiply, we can go get a hold of those buildings and I don't need to turn them into Taj Mahal. Right. I, I just need you know, to get them. They, I need you to don't get, get a video wall. They don't get a video wall. You know, <laughs> <laughs> no one gets a video wall. Nobody's got a video wall. <laughs> so, but they don't need so to be the, fancy. But You're right. That, you know? Right. It's good enough for who it's for because when, when the people come in off the street that don't know Jesus, and they walk into the room and you're talking about, man, there's people that are alive and they're loving and they're doing family ministry and the next generation's coming up and and they're apprenticing people and discipling people. How And how many communities right now need that touch point Absolutely. and need to have that representation and need to have that? So I, I like to say that you get qu- you get quality from quantity sure. and you get you when you have quantity you, you know when you have quality then you get quantity so which sure. one came first i don't know sure. but you just kind of hack away wherever you're at in that so so the great kingdom reminder to that is you know jesus said i'll build my church and he's giving you people if he's giving you people who are called send them you can you can orphan them and see if they'll make their way on their own or or you can father them and stay in relationship with them. Now, this is where I think an anointing on someone's life needs to be there for uh, fathering replication, right? You, sure, sure. Right, 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 right. I think for different guys, there's a pain threshold in sending. There's a pain threshold in giving anything away. Uh, depending on if sure. somebody's a hoarder or a giver, you know, th- there's that mentality. But I think there's something here in this idea that for each guy, you might have capacity to kind of maintain two or three strong relationships where you have sure. spiritual sons or daughters that are in that vein where you can multiply that number of times. Uh, but the idea of doing more with less just says there needs to be an upper end limiting factor in where we're saying it's good enough for who it's for. Now live that way. Like this is sure. the model that we're going to make. If it's the town of 500, they're not walking in expecting Starbucks in the lobby. So stop dreaming about right. Starbucks in the lobby. Right. 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 And it, and it's all about our strategy, right? It's about where we're focusing and it's about, making it match to what, to what's around it, you know? Yeah. And, and in that, what I have found, sometimes I've been like, man, I don't know if this is great. People come in and like, this is amazing. This is so good. Cause I just happened to go down to some conference somewhere and I came back thinking, man, we just don't have, we just don't have it. It's not there. Right. And right. when the people walk in, they're thinking this is the most amazing thing under the sun. So it's, it's I love it. Yeah, absolutely. 
And uh, honestly, I mean, what good stuff today, man. I, I really enjoyed a lot of these principles and, and I, and I think it's huge. I mean, I think it's huge just to say like, like we're going to give value to that and we're going to, we're going to almost sacrifice in a positive way to say, Hey, we're going to put limits so that, so that we are reaching in. Cause you know, there's, I mean, if, if we waited to Jesus waited to launch the perfect church, I mean, my goodness, you know what I'm saying? Like it would have never happened, but uh, Hey, this has been really fun. Will. I just want to say thank you one more time for being on here. Thank you, Joe. Appreciate it, man. And if we inspired anyone to multiply or, or to raise up another leader or just even feel uh, like, man, I'm making a difference in, in the community that I'm in and you're going to go give it another year, give it another couple of years where you just don't give up and stop comparing yourself to people that it's a t- the context is wrong. Man, just I believe in the calling of God in your life, and I believe that God has you in the right place. He's equipping you in the right ways. And you might not see all the things that you wish you thought you saw, but if I can close out with this, Joe, I love the idea that God doesn't say to us, well done, thou good and fruitful servant. He says to us, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And the standard of success in God's kingdom is not fruitfulness. It is faithfulness. We will be commended for our faithfulness when we see Jesus. And so I, I know I'm not doing this for any other thing, but the, to live for the applause of one. And if you could, if you can awesome. insulate your heart in that way and be faithful with the people you are loving on right now, you have a generational impact that has an impact on a community and families and people that you cannot understand until we get to the kingdom. And I applaud that. I'm so for that. And and I really believe that's the bread and butter of the kingdom of God here in America is, is all these smaller churches that are multiplying and replicating faith in a very authentic way, in real tangible ways. And let that be intergenerational and let it happen in your in your city, where in your town, in your in your church, wherever you're at. Awesome. Well, there's not too much I can add to that. I do just want to say uh, if you uh, no, and honestly, it was good stuff. Like usually I, I throw something out at the end and I'm like, no, that's it. He, he said it all, you know, no need for two preachers to preach. So um, that was good stuff. And honestly, again, I appreciate this so much uh, for our listeners. We really appreciate if you, uh, you know, give us a follow or a, or a rating or a, or a review on uh, Apple podcasts or on Spotify, or you can check us out at the Royal Advancement website, www.realadvancement.com. Uh, Once again, I've been Joe Epple, your host. We got to interview Pastor Will Hampton, and we will see you next week. Mm